0: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Tonight's special guest has lived his entire life amongst the aliens and will give us a view into this world. A world of alien visitation, abduction and the unexplained. It is their culmination of 59 years of experience with ETs and other life forms. We'll dive straight into the heart of the alien agenda. Many of you ask for more on this topic, and this is for you.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at VeritasRadio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for focused life force energy, MMS, Rebounders, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick.
1: Tonight's special guest is Dave Emmons, who graduated from high school, college, and was also in the U.S. Army from 1968 to 1971, where he held a top-secret clearance. But his body is so diverse, that i will let him tell us himself. From electrician, musician, radio host, restaurant and nightclub owner, and a UFO and ET experiencer, since he was 14 years of age to the present day. He has had five close encounters with UFOs and several abductions. And to tell us more, from the state of Illinois, Dave Emmons is our guest today. Hello, Dave, and welcome to Veritas. Thank you, Mel, so much, and uh, that was a great intro. So I decided not to read your bio fully because we have such a vast bio and an incredible story. I mentioned to you before we began that most of the people I interview have one, two, maybe three experiences throughout their lives, but you've had what is it, fifty-nine years of experience, Dave? Right. Off and on, they, they would
2: visit me. Uh, the last time they visited me was it was two years ago. Well, it was actually, last September. Uh, I can I can be I can, I'll tell you about the freezing events that I have. That's that's new to ufology. I've never heard it talked about. But also the I want to talk about a little bit about the hum, the Taos hum. That a lot of people have. It's at low twenty yeah. megahertz of a sound that people aren't supposed to hear. But I I've been hearing it ever since twenty ten, I believe, ever since I started being really close to a, a few ETS, and I, I got it. I, I got it. So I'll get to that story when when I, I guess you want me to kind of warm up on the bio a little bit. More. Yeah, go back in time. Okay. Well, yeah, I graduated from high school uh, in in sixty seven. So that makes me old, I guess. But uh, I, I keep myself going mentally. I'm writing books now. I got my second book's going to be published before long. And the first book is out there now on Amazon. And that's They, What Do They Want? And that'll be about all the things that these ETs have harassed me over the years. But my first sighting was actually in 62. In I had a sighting when I was little, well, I was actually, let's see, 12, I was 13 at that time. I was 13 when I saw this. This looked like a little barge, and it had bright white lights on the front of it. And at the bottom, it had a blue hazy lighting coming over it. And I was in the backyard playing. It must have been around eight fifteen, eight thirty. I was the last one out there messing around and playing. My other brother's sisters went inside to watch TV. And I always liked the outdoors. And I saw this, this craft come up overhead about 100 feet high, I remember looking at it, and I was really mesmerized by it, but I don't remember having the contact with this craft, but apparently afterwards, I got into uh, my bedroom in which we had 11 kids in the family, so we shared beds. So my brother, older brother and I shared a bed, and I remember being, ending up in the bed, and I was numb. I couldn't move. My legs were numb, and something was standing next to me and I couldn't and then I was really scared to say anything or do anything until this thing was gone and then I I felt that it was gone cuz I started getting you know feelings back in my legs and stuff and I turned to my brother I said did you see or hear anything he goes no shut up go to bed you know I got that quite a bit from uh, I guess a couple of wives sorry to say <laughs> a couple of several wives but uh I he, he told me that that night and the uh, I so I didn't want to say anything more And the next day, I just kind of I told my mom that I saw something really weird and she goes, oh, you're just imagination is going wild. And here she is. She's in my book. Also, I talk about her and she's had a history in it. And she I was born with gray sideburns and she she emphasized, she says, make sure you put that in the book because she says, I think that has something to do with your being attracted, you know, by the E.T.'s. And this has come out of her mouth. She's ninety-four. She's still alive. She, she, we talk about it to this day. I just give her a book signed uh, last week, and uh, she really enjoyed it. And I said, "Your name's in there, mom." And I said, "You're going to be in trouble." <laughs> she She <laughs> says, "Well, it's all true." She said, "I said I know it is." But it but
1: hold on, hold on, David. I remember when reading the book. I remember when one of your abductions, you came home late at night, and I guess you had lost an out one hour, and you got home. And she had locked the door because it was so late and she had to open the door. Right. And she said something to you when she said, mom, but I, uh, I, I saw a UFO. Yeah, that wasn't, that was in 1963. That was about
2: a year after my first sighting. And my buddy and I, uh, he's, we've been best friends. I just saw him last week at lunch. And we talk about this same story over and over. And it was in 1963. We were at the bottom of his steps, he had, him and his dad lived in a basement apartment, and we was at the bottom of the steps listening to the radio and drinking Pepsi-Cola out of glass bottles. And that's a, that's a that dates me right there, but we smelled this funny smell. It, it smelled like sulfur or, or whatever, and then we saw some lights just above the tree line moving really slow, uh, two small bright lights. And then we said, okay, let's go up. He said, let's go up there and get the flashlight from my dad's truck. So we did, and we followed this thing up the road, and we it was going real slow. It was watching us as we were watching it. So we were moving real slow, and he flashed the flashlight at it. And he was saying, well, he thinks that they answered him back. But what I recall is it the lights were hitting the tops of the tree uh, uh, limbs and leaves, and I, that would cut it in and out. The light would cut in and out because of the trees getting in the way. And that's what I noticed. But we it was moving all the way up. And we went up to this empty lot. We stood there, and this thing was over my backyard, actually, and it, it was a, an old saucer-shaped type, type of uh, flying saucer, probably about, I think it's uh, 30, 35 feet wide and about 15, 20 feet deep, high, and it had windows all the way around it, uh, little portals. I was looking at that. It was only about, I'd say, 75 feet off the ground, and we stood there, and we pinched each other, and we couldn't believe what we were seeing. And, and he pinched me too hard and I said, ow, that hurt. So I remember that conversation, but I was looking at the portals, the windows. I wanted to see them. I saw shadows. My buddy said he heard a little humming, buzzing sound. I didn't pay any attention to that. Now that's something I was more visual locked onto the target. And I guess he was hearing a humming or buzzing sound. I didn't actually hear it, but we stood there. We don't know what happened after that, uh, we remember coming – we remember being right back in the same place and standing in the exact same place we started off looking at this this craft, and I saw it take off to the west, due west. We were looking at it from the southwest, actually. when you, you I went back some years later and kind of drew it all out to try to figure it all out from there, and it, it was coming – we saw it looking to the southwest, but it took off due west. So that means it moved 30 or 40 degrees without us seeing it. We would, have, we, If it would have moved, we would have noticed that we would have said something to each other, but we did not see it move. And my buddy didn't see it see it fly out. I did. It just zoomed right out in the, into the clouds, and it was gone. So then we said, well, okay, we're going to go home and tell our, our folks about this. So we both ran home. He said he went home, told his dad, and he said, yes, yeah, son, you saw a flying saucer. Go to bed. And then I, got, I had to pound on the door because my mom had it locked. And then she I, she opened the door and she said, you know how late it is? I said, no, not really, Mom. I said, I saw a flying saucer. She said, get your butt in the house. I'll fly and saucer your butt. And, you know, so I said, okay. So I go into bed and the next day I was telling my friends the story and they laughed at me. And when your kid's around 14 years old in junior high, you know, <laughs> They're going to laugh at you, fun oh, yeah. at you. So it's it's kind of you, you stop talking about it. But my buddy and I always talked about it when we got th- together, and we'd always sit outside and look up and see if we see another one. So we were always into it because you know seeing is believing, and I don't mind that coming from people. If people say I have to see one to believe it, then that's fine. But just don't discount them and say hey they don't exist and you're crazy. You know that those are those are answers I don't really like but just op- have an open mind and the consciousness part about it and just know that this universe is so huge and vast and there's life out there and they're finding out NASA well
1: you know the 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 saying condemnation without investigation is the height of ignorance
2: yeah yeah I but uh, I I don't get you know how we I, I talked to you earlier before the show that I don't get how they said the government is causing... A lot of disinformation and misinformation to block us from the truth, but I think there's there's kind of infighting with the top ufologists and the investigators, the talking heads as I as I call them. They seem to be gatekeepers for people who experience things. I'm all for the experiencer, and I want to listen to the stories. I want to I want to see how it relates to how my story went. And a lot of them, believe it or not. I've interviewed a lot of these experiencers, and they always tell me something that rings a bell to, to my experiences. And then I know for sure, that okay, this guy, he's witnessed, or this gal, they've witnessed something that I've witnessed, and it's weird. So it's nice to hear people talking about this subject in order to put those pieces of the puzzle together for somebody else that, that might be you know, scratching their head and say, what the heck just happened to me? You know, some people don't know. Fifty percent of people don't even know they've been abducted. And I think that night in 1963, it was uh, early summer. We was out of school. And I think that night we we saw this thing about a little bit after 10 might have been 1030. We didn't get into the house. It must have been midnight because my mom don't usually lock up the house until about 11 o'clock. And then when she has all the kids and she knew I was with my friend, so she didn't, you know, uh, we didn't have cell phones back then, so she couldn't call me and chew me out. But uh, she knew it was late. I even asked her here lately, I said, do you really, do you not remember the time, you know, before I wrote my book, I wanted to find out. She goes, no, but it was late. She said it was pretty late. I said, well, I don't remember, you know that time and my buddy doesn't remember that uh, that hour and a half what we were talking about that's what what was missing actually about an hour and a half but what in two weeks like in journalism when you investigate something you wait for the other shoe to fall well two weeks later the other shoe did fall it was come in a form of an implant. I told my buddy about this implant and he just went still. I said, I know we were on that craft together because I had a regress dream, but this implant was for real. I felt, you know, a nodule in my in my, uh, uh, you know, I guess left testicle. I can say that, and I thought, what's going on here? And then I looked, and there was a cut line. It was about an inch long, and it looked like a laser cut. Now, back then, I didn't know what it was, but it looked like kind of a laser cut. And I thought, okay, I'll try to push it back out, that cut, because that cut's not supposed to be there. So I did. It took me a couple minutes, and I kept forcing it out, and it popped out through that cut, laser cut line. And uh, I'm calling a laser cut now. I didn't know that back then, but I got it out. It looked like a Advil tablet, but it was kind of light in color, uh, kind of real light tan in color. And the longer I held it out, the darker it got, the oxygen got to it. I showed it to my mom and she goes, where'd you get that? I said, mom, that come out of my, my testicle. And she goes, that's an ingrown hair. I said, no, mom. She looked at, she, what do you mean? I said, there was a hole, there was a cut not a hole, but it, I got it out, out of this cut that was about an, an inch long. And I said, I was able to get it back out. And then she looked at me and froze. And she didn't say nothing.
1: Then let me, just, just, let me just interject for a second. So as your mom is basically pretending to be a skeptic here, could it be that there's lineage, there's DNA lineage that these ETs are following, and she knew all along?
2: Yes. She knew about flying saucers. Uh she used to tell us it was right after that. She used to be she used to tell us that there's warnings on radio don't approach a flying saucer. Well, we did approach one, but she knew, but she didn't want to say anything to scare me. She didn't want to let me think that, okay, maybe they messed with me or they took me or whatever. She didn't want me to be afraid or scared because she's had, her family has seen a couple of UFOs, and she's had some visitors uh, in her house, low, tall, dark, uh, slender uh, men, they call them whatever, but she's she's had that. She's had them, you know, uh, roll her around in bed and grab her leg and, and things of that nature, and so— it does travel in the family. It, it traveled in ours. And my mom didn't want me to know everything about it because she didn't want to scare me. So that night, she was just actually putting on a show when she told me about she'd kick my flying saucer butt. Mm, okay. And then the next day, you know, no, two weeks later, she told me, no, you know, just throw it away. She went quiet. But the other thing was I had a regressed dream. And it took a while for that regressed dream to come about. I don't know if uh, the uh, the audience knows about regressed dreams are l- very lucid. Oh sure. They're they're very lucid vivid dreams in which you actually can relate to others in this dream. You can actually talk to them, touch them. And I had this this vivid dream that we were I know my buddy was with me in this craft. It was dark, it was kind of warm, and I was on a, on setting on top of a, a metallic table, shiny. And I couldn't put my shirt on. Actually, it was too small. It was my buddy's shirt, and he was in there. I I felt that he was in there, but I couldn't see him. He was at another table. But I ended up having the right shirt, I guess, because he was smaller than me, and I was I've always a chubby kid. Let's let's admit it. But I you know I was a little bit bigger, so I couldn't put his shirt on, and I was frustrated. But apparently, they must have taken. Uh, his shirt, give it to me and they re- reversed the shirts and got us dressed and put us back down like nothing happened. That was the regressed dream I had. And I told my buddy that and he says, I haven't had anything. I said, are you sure? He said, no, I haven't had a regressed dream. And my older brother, who, who's a real strong believer in, in me because he's been wit- he's witnessed a few things around me. So he told, he told Dave, uh, my buddy, he said, Hey, you probably had th- something happen. You were abducted, and you you don't remember it. Or they might have erased you. And and uh, my brother here, he probably remembers it. You know tidbits of it. And sometimes, most of the time, I do. There are some parts of it that they they don't get. Uh, they they relieve or take your memory. I was going to say relieve your memory, but they they take your memory away from you, back to a certain time, and they use light to do it. Because there's one in- incident that happened. You know, and I, I talk about it in the book. It happened in Sedona where I actually saw how they erased uh, your memory. But that was the first go around. Now, through those rest of the 60s and 70s, I was busy. I was in the military. I was playing music. I played guitar for a while and I played drums. I kept busy. And I, I didn't do drugs as a musician, but I did drink. And I didn't – I wasn't proud of that, but I, I drank – because we partied all the time when we played music, and musicians know what I'm talking about. But then I I guess I, in the 80s, I, I had uh, other jobs that took me other places. I've seen orbs during those times. I remember seeing lights in the sky, but I didn't think anything of it, because when you see a, a UFO up close, like I did two of them in 62 and 63, orbs just don't excite you. You know, you have to see the craft itself. That's where I'm at with, with all these orbs and uh, things. I see orbs and videos on, on Facebook, and I say, okay, that's an orb. That's interesting. But uh, it's not as interesting as seeing one up close, and that's where, where uh, I find the real true facts are. You, you see what what this thing is, how it's made. You see what it looks like, and there are no weld spots. There's no bolts, anything. It's all just totally smooth uh, craft that I've seen. But uh, – those years were kind
1: of slow, and then in '95, hold on, hold on. I'd like to go in chronological order because you went to the army, right? And you had a, you held a top secret clearance, but you quit or you left the army, right? Yeah.
2: Okay. That's that's the topic. I thought. Well, after you mentioned, it, I thought, okay, we'll just leave it there. But here, here's the explanation of that. When I went, when I left high school, I I tested very high on IQ. I don't like talking about it. But then when I went in the army, I took their test and I qualified for anything I wanted. I, I made that such high scores. My brother tells me he thinks that ETs give me an intelligence boost. Maybe so. I don't know. But I got into top secret. I was the only high school level person in that class of 15. The rest of them had.
3: Thank you for listening to unlock the full two hour interview, including video formats, Downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more. Subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section, or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. To listen to the rest of the interview, you don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe you want to know.